Yo. <laughs> Thanks again for checking out another edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Then again, you probably already know that by now. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. You can find the podcast just about anywhere. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Overcast FM, Google Play, Pocket Cast. You can follow me on Instagram at 12 Kyle Podcast. You can follow me on Facebook, facebook.com backslash spell it out t-w-e-l-v-e-k-y-l-e and of course you can catch me on the twitter streets at 12 kyle the number one two k-y-l-e and at 12 kyle podcast so there's no reason not to subscribe all right so what i'm going to talk about today uh if you've been listening to the podcast uh Part of what we're doing is we're featuring albums that are turning some of the best albums that are turning 20 years old. Hip hop albums that are turning 20 Um, on July 2nd, 1996. uh, There was an album that dropped. It was called It Was Written. Dropped by the rapper Nas. This was Nas's second album following up his debut classic, Illmatic. It was written, as I mentioned, turns 20 years old. That's bugged out when you think about it, because you got to think about what was really, really going on 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, uh, as I mentioned, Illmatic dropped in 94, so Nas had a couple of years to ride the wave of success of that album, and here he is coming out with his second album, and of course the critics and everybody else all had the same question. Can he do it again? (laughs) I mean, in hip-hop, that's big. I mean, you don't want to have the sophomore slump, if you will. Um, A lot of guys fall off from album one to album two. Um, And so Nas was really trying to avoid that. Uh, There is a difference between how uh, each album sounded. Illmatic had a certain sound and it was written had a certain sound. Um, But you also have to look at the backdrop of what was going on in 1996. And at that particular time, July 2nd, 1996, um, the West was winning <laughs> and the East was slowly but surely bringing it back. And ironically, uh, the album that dropped the week prior to Nas's album was Reasonable Doubt by Jay-Z. So, you know, you, you had a, a, you had a lot of momentum kind of coming back toward the East and, and New York City in particular. Um, so that was the backdrop. And this album, again, with it being Nas's second album, he has to, I mean, just imagine coming up and you knock it out the park, your first plate appearance. I mean, like Nas really changed the game with uh, Illmatic. So here he is. He has to follow up to a classic album, something that a lot of MCs couldn't do. Um, 
but Nas clearly delivered with this album. Um, I remember actually purchasing the album. I remember driving to the record store. Uh, shout out to the record stores. <laughs> driving to the record store and actually purchasing it. And I remember putting in, um, putting it in, in my CD player and reading through the liner notes. Um, shout out to liner notes. Uh, <laughs> liner notes kept you know kept us on top of our game and it, you know helped us learn the words to albums and songs and things of that nature. Um, but I remember I remember distinctly. Uh, going to the store buying the album and I specifically uh actually sat in the parking lot and listened to I think it was like the first three or four tracks before I moved the car um uh and, and the album was incredible I thought it was uh it's again it's hard to follow up to Illmatic because Illmatic was something you know prior to Illmatic all we had was uh, you know the the buzz about Nas. We heard him at li- on live at the barbecue, and for him to come back with it was written um, was I thought I thought was great. And I, as I mentioned, and I'll get into it a little bit on the podcast. You know, there's differences between both albums as far as how they sound and everything like that. But the the first thing that jumps out at me uh, was the artwork, the album cover artwork. Uh, if you remember on Illmatic, it was a picture of Young Nas with Queensbridge in the background. Um, this is the, the album cover for it was written was um, you know a much older Nas still Queensbridge in the background so uh, that was the the first thing um, the album starts off uh, with you know well you know before I even get into what what the album started off with let's just talk about the production uh, this, I thought this album was very well produced um, gone was the boom bap sound from Illmatic. Now, for me, I didn't necessarily, uh, it didn't necessarily bother me. Uh, but you know, you had some, some of us in hip hop community, uh, some hip hop heads, uh, they, they, they really missed the, the primo and, and, and Pete Rock boom bap sound from Illmatic, even though Premier does, uh, produce an uh, album on this, uh, a song on this album. Uh, primarily, the production came. Most of the production came from the Trackmasters, uh, who weren't necessarily new to producing at the time. But uh, you know, this was one of their um, babies, if you will. Uh, the Trackmasters did the majority of the tracks. Uh, as I mentioned, Premier did a track. Um, I gave you power. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, there was the live squad. There was actually a track produced by the legend, Dr. Dre. Um, and that was big as well. And I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, also, L.E.S., uh, Havoc from Mob Deep. So, you know, you, you had kind of like a, a, a mix. Um, you had a good mix, I think, of producers. Uh, again, I didn't. I, I actually liked the production of the album, I think. With the exception of maybe one or two songs, uh, the, the production was solid through and through all the way out. And I think if you follow Nas, then that, you know, that's one thing that obviously became uh, kind of like a sticking point as far as his production or lack thereof on his some of his you know subsequent albums. Um, but the production was tight. The production was tight, I thought. And um, it kept me kept me into it. it definitely kept me into it. Uh, so the album starts off. Uh, there's an intro. An intro, you know, it's okay. It's you know, it's got these guys. 
they're talking like slaves on the plantation and they have these horrible southern accents uh you know i could have done without the intro uh but the intro does have does feature uh you know a change gonna come from sam cook so that's always it's always good to hear old school songs like that so after that the first track on the album um track two um man Track number two, The Message. Uh, <laughs> what can I say about this song? I mean, like, this is, this, here's the thing. Like, if you had any doubts as to where Nas was, I mean, he kills it. First bar, fake thug, no love. You get the slug, CB4, gusto, your luck low. I didn't know till I was drunk, though. You freak niggas played out. Get fucking ate out. Prostitute turned bitch. I got the gauge out. 96 ways I made out. Montana way to good F-E-L-L-A. Verbal AK spray. Dip detachy. Jumped out the range. Empty out the ashtray. A glass of Zay make a man. Cassius Clay. Red dot plots. Murder schemes. 32 shot guns. Regulate with my done. 17 glops. Gleam from one ring. Yo, let me let y'all niggas know one thing. There's one life, one love, so there could only be one king what (laughs) when I heard that I was like yo are you serious that was Nas but that just like it took me back to live at the barbecue it took me back to halftime it took me back to New York State of Mind in the first verse of the album dope dope he killed it (laughs) he killed it uh from there you go on to Street Dreams um, produced by the Track Masters who also produced uh, The Message um, he, he used the sample uh, Street Dreams well, uh, uh, yeah, I guess you could call it a sample of uh, Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmi- Eurythmics um, Street Dreams are made of this uh, that was back in the early 80s uh, shout out to uh, that group that, that, was, that song was hard um, but you know, great lyrics, great production on that one. Um, then we get the track number four. Track number four, I gave you power. One of my favorite tracks on this album. Um, it may be my second favorite track behind the message. I gave you power. Nas actually flips it, and this this shows his lyricism. And, and trust me when I tell you, nobody was doing things like this. Um, I gave you power. He raps from the perspective of a gun and he is speaking, I guess, in third person, if you will, as if he were a gun. And he talks about how, you know, how he felt being a gun and how he was being used uh, in the community, uh, so forth and so on. And he was going to jam the next time that uh, his owner picked him up and, and he goes through a story and I won't spoil the story. Of course, I'm pretty sure all of you listening to it know the story, but nonetheless, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Go back and listen to it. Um, dope lyricism right there. And I think one of that, that was very critical, I think, because Nas showed you right then and there when you're a product of uh you know, Slick Rick, when you're a product of Rakim, you know, one of the things that you have to do, you have to be able to tell stories. And I mean, this was a great storytelling rhyme right here. And I think that was, uh, it It gave us a, a glimpse of what, how deep Nas could be. Because I mean, most people wouldn't use that type of 
uh, format to feature on their particular album, particularly a sophomore album at that following up a classic. Um, but yeah, dope song, man. Dope, probably, like I said, probably my second favorite song on the album. Uh, the next track, track five, was Watch Them Niggas with uh, Foxy Brown on the hook. Dope, you know, again, great lyrics, tight production. Um, track six, Take It in Blood. Uh, that was produced by the Live Squad. I, I thought that was okay. It wasn't, you know, it didn't blow me away, but I, the beat was tight. And, you know, Nas did his thing. I mean, like, I, I could, I literally could recite lyric for lyric on this, on this particular song, but... Um, for the sake of time, I'm not. But you, you know, you know exactly what I mean. Um, track seven featured, uh, and I always laugh when I hear like there's a little in- interlude at the beginning of the song. Uh, features Dr. Dre, beat, very sinister type beat from Dr. Dre. But I always laugh when I hear the beginning of the track because it's Nas and Dre and they're uh, allegedly smoking weed and they're. Hit hit this weed, man. Hit this. I'm like, really? <laughs> they sound so damn lame. Um, nonetheless, man, I, I I love that track, man. It sounded really, really dope. Um, like I said, it just had this really, really creepy, sinister sound. Um, then the next track was track eight, Affirmative Action. Um, man, Affirmative Action sets off. A subsequent album of a group that is birthed from this and that is The Firm um, with AZ, uh, Foxy Brown and um, what was it, Cormega uh, love this track man, love this track I, and you know it's funny for years like I thought that Dr. Dre had produced it but it was actually produced by the Trackmasters, um, I don't know why I thought that but, <laughs> but um, man that that song probably is one of the highlights of the album uh, because, you know, it's the crew. And I mean, like what they're rhyming about is and, and a lot of critics called this and said that this was like the mafioso rap because it introduced us to Nas Escobar uh, or Escobar. <laughs> when we say Escobar season began on this album, uh, it, it truly did. I mean, this was this was the birth of Nas Escobar, you know, um, and now to be honest, some of Nas's critics, uh, the Escobar talk and the talk of drugs and, you know, guns and all this stuff like that, because you really didn't get a lot of that on Illmatic, turned some people off, some of his critics off. I mean, but I, personally, I like the way that, you know, it, it showed a different side of Nas. And, and I like Nas Escobar, you know, um, the next track was the setup featuring Havoc, another banger another banger queens two queens mcs going at it uh the next song i thought was very very clever black girl lost uh featuring um jojo from uh casey and jojo from the from jodeci uh singing on the hook um it's a tale of Nas's ode to you know black girls and and black women in general and you know seeing their struggle uh, but he also puts a twist on it saying like you you can do better you can't you shouldn't settle for less that type of thing um the one thing i didn't like about this song was the hook i think if, if i if they could just change the hook a little bit <laughs> i don't know the hook just sounded corny um i don't know why uh it just sounded a little corny but still a dope track um the next 
track suspect produced by les another banger man i mean Nas, his streets tales are just you know they at this point that that the album is at a fever pitch i think and i think uh you know this is Nas is just you know escobar really just bringing it home lyrically uh shootouts was the next track a good track it was okay um I, I I listened to it, but I'm not like, yo, you got to hear that. You know, that was one that I could have done without. Uh, next track was uh, track 13, Live Nigga Rap with uh, Mob Deep, um, produced by Havoc, another banger. And, and really, I think for me, this was very key because it gave us a chance to hear Nas with Mob Deep. Um, and, you know, of course, over the years past, they kind of fell out and they weren't as close as they once were. But early in Nas's career and early in Mob Deep's career, these guys would appear on each other's albums. And I thought this was good and it was good for Queens and it was definitely good for New York and, and the sound that they had, man. I mean, those guys were they, they sounded really, really good together. Um, and then the last track on the album was the uh, uh, I guess I guess you could say the biggest one. I don't can't really say you guess it's, like, it's got to be a fact <laughs> the biggest track of the album uh if i rule the world imagine that with lauren hill um that song uh obviously propelled nas uh and this and also propelled this album commercially uh obviously it featured the sample from houdini uh the track was i mean the, the title was from curtis blows if i rule the world shout out to curtis blow um so you know it was and then you had lauren hill l boogie on the on the hook i mean <laughs> man you couldn't go wrong and, and i remember the video it was you know really really nice video and directed by hype williams so you know it had all the colors and everything and um this one got major airplay on um mtv uh, and again, the song got major airplay on uh, radio, black radio. And uh, this really, really propelled the album. Um, the album went, you know, I think at the time, uh, the album went double platinum. I think over a period of time, it's, 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 it's what, four million. So he's had four million sales on this uh, on this album. This is by far his most commercially successful album um now i will say this much there's there's a segment of people who you know didn't like the fact that uh this song was on here and they didn't like the fact that they felt like Nas was swinging for the commercial fences if you will um i didn't look at it like that i just saw it as a dope collaboration between Nas and, and l boogie and and just you know a hype song um but, you know, when you couple that with the video, I could kind of see how people would say, well, oh, he's being too commercial. I mean, this is a guy that did, you know, halftime and, um, you know, the world is yours. And then it goes to, you know, if I rule the world. Uh, so it's different styles, different sounds. And obviously, once you saw the video, it looked totally different as well. So I can kind of understand that. I just don't agree. I mean, it was some, it was some haters. <laughs> I think, I think it was just some haters, uh, and it's okay, you know. Some people can hate. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but I think, I don't think that Nas set out to make a commercial album. I think this was a, a street album, had some commercial appeal, but I don't think that you know because you can't listen to Suspect and say, hey, this is a commercial album. 
because it's not <laughs> uh but dope nonetheless um so yeah man I, I think it's it's i don't knock Nas for the commercialism of this album i thought he did what he needed to do and i think he had a very very good you know very good uh, response or sophomore album if you will a follow-up to um illmatic uh i tell you what what we're gonna do is take a quick commercial break we got we actually have an interview with Nas where he talks about uh, a little beef he had with tupac uh so on the other side of the break we'll talk about Nas's beef with tupac uh subsequent beef with jay-z and the and you know what's not what Nas did after this album and the significance of the album uh hang on for a second we'll be right back after this commercial break be right back let me ask you about tupac is it true that you seen tupac at the mtv awards um the couple days before he died did you guys run into each other there actually yeah yeah we ran into each other what, what was that conversation about and and, and uh what's going on with you know the whole thing man you can take me back to it yo you know what man i was thinking like um think about it the other day like um he must have been going through a whole lot dog mm. you know what i'm saying because he saw me and uh, I saw him and he had a bunch of people with him. I had a bunch of people with me and it could have went any way, either way because mm -hmm. at the time the tension was so high. Yeah. And I kind of felt like I was the New York dude at the time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, it was my duty to see what was going on. So I went to see what was going on and um, he basically had, you know, there was some issues with Mob and at the time me and Mob were a lot tighter. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he had heard that I said things about him and I heard he had this Machiavelli album coming out and yeah. you know that he told me he was what he was saying and uh he basically was like you know we wasn't me and you never supposed to go at it not us it wasn't supposed to happen it's just that things got misconstrued so he actually like he was going to change all of that and come meet him in Vegas mm. and uh we were just in Vegas and uh Jungle bumped into one of the outlaws and um he was telling Jungle about you know how the last thing Pac did wasn't his last message. Mm. Pac had more to do. He didn't want his last message to be what we hear. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and he remembers mm -hmm. the time and remembers talking about the meeting and everything. So, mm -hmm. yeah, man, I'm going to put that in the book one day, children. Yeah, that's right. Children out there listening. <laughs> we put that in the bills. book, man. We're going to pay some bills. Come back. And just like that, I'm back. This is the 12 Kyle podcast, and I am talking about Nas's It Was Written 20 years later. Uh, as Nas mentioned in the interview, uh, he had a brief beef, if you will, with Tupac Shakur. Uh, and I thought, to be honest, I thought the beef was silly uh, at the time because Nas did mention Tupac uh, in the song The Message. Uh, he was telling a story and he talked about how he got shot and returned shots and you know how it got away i mean like it was nothing and tupac decided to diss nas on a song called against all odds uh on the uh don Columinati seven day theory which was tupac's last album uh the album was released shortly i want to say like maybe a week after he died um nonetheless uh as nas mentioned uh, he and Tupac ran into each other uh, and they 
kind of got away from their crews and got a chance to kind of squash whatever it was. And, you know, Tupac had vowed that he was going to go back and change the lyrics on, you know, on the song. And uh, he had confirmed this with uh, Eric B. And who was with him at the time. And Eric B. said later in a later interview, you know, a couple of months later, was that the he, Tupac never got back to the studio, basically, to... Uh, to, to change those lyrics. Uh, he was, you know, he went to Vegas and subsequently was murdered in Vegas. Um, nonetheless, I think that was, you know, that was kind of, uh, it was sad, you know, and, and I think Nas probably, you know, felt, I'm pretty sure Nas felt good about the fact that they were able to squash it, but, you know, sad at the same time that Tupac lost his life. But it was not just the quote unquote beef with Nas that, uh, would transpire after um, it was written, dropped. Uh, subsequently, years later, it would be the beef with Jay-Z. Um, some would say that this beef uh, kind of resurrected Nas's career. Uh, Nas, post it was written, uh, produced, he came out, he dropped eight more albums. He's dropped eight more albums since then. And, and Nas has been largely successful Um you know, he got married, had a child, another child, I should say. He has a, a daughter and a son. And, um, you know, he, Nas is a guy who he wasn't, lyrically, he was always going to bring it, but he wasn't necessarily going to be a guy who uh, who blows you away on the charts. And, and as, I, as I mentioned in the, at the top, uh, It Was Written was his most um successful commercial album i mean it sold the most albums i can't say that it's his best album uh, where do i rank this and why is this album significant um i think this is one of Nas's best albums i think it's not and i think most people will say that i don't i, I don't think it's illmatic now i've heard some people albeit a few <laughs> i've heard some people say that this is Nas's best album I could not put it was written over Illmatic on any day. Nonetheless, this is a great album. The source gave it four mics. Personally, I would give it four and a half mics. Um, it's not a five mic album. It's not a classic, but it's a supremely dope album. So if I was handing out mics, it doesn't get four, but it gets four and a half. Um, a great album, man. Top to bottom. And I think it this this solidifies Nas's uh, his ability to be a great be a great storyteller. It brought out the Nas Escobar that we all know and love, uh, who subsequently <laughs> went away <laughs> some years later. Uh, but nonetheless, Esco was here, you know, and he was here to stay. And and he he had a different style, and and it showed his lyrical dexterity, if you will. Um, Nas is dope, man. I mean, I, I've I've said this before on this podcast and other podcasts that I think. Lyrically, I think Nas is the number two lyricist of all time behind Rakim. Doesn't mean that he sold the most records. Doesn't mean that he's the, the, the best of the best. I think lyrically, he is the second best lyricist that you will find to pick up a mic. If you disagree, let me know. <laughs> but I think if Nas is not in your top five lyricists, you probably don't have a real top five. And that's being honest. <laughs> 
Uh, now, as I mentioned, Nas did uh, get into a quote unquote beef, if you will, with Jay-Z. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the particulars because you know what happened. But when Nas dropped Ether, man, <laughs> I, I, you know, I actually have to take it back. I'll be honest. The first time that I heard Takeover, uh, I thought it was over for Nas. I mean, like, I literally thought that his career was done. I didn't think that anybody could survive those blows, those haymakers that Jason was throwing on that on that song. Um, but, you know, Nas got knocked down. He picked himself up, dusted himself off, and he went into the booth and dropped uh, Ether. The Ether to make... <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I... I don't even want to get into the lyrics. I mean, it was just an incredible and arguably one of the, if not the best, probably the top three best diss songs ever in hip hop history. Yeah. So that's Nas, man. That's Nas in a nutshell. I think, um, I think, like I said, I think his, his post work from it was written. Um, some albums left something to be desired. I'll be honest with that. I, you know, that, you know, he, <laughs> he had some albums that, you know, was loved by the masses. He had some albums that were hated by the masses. Um, so I'll give you an example. Nostradamus. Not, I mean, as, as big of a fan as I am of Nas. Didn't like that album at all. Didn't like it at all. There was a couple of tracks on there. Other than that, I'm good. I don't need to listen to it. <laughs> but, um. I think the thing about Nas is that this album helped solidify his place on whatever list that you have him listed at. Uh, as I mentioned, there were uh, eight albums post, eight solo albums post it was written. Um, he had two collaborative albums, uh, the aforementioned Firm, um, which dropped the following year in 1997. And then he did Distant Relatives with uh, Damien Marley. Um, so, you know, I think... The thing that really stands out about this album, obviously, is Nas's lyricism, but also the production. And I think this is an album that stands the test of time. I think when you put this album on, it'll take you back to 96. It'll take you back to the first time you heard Esco come out and just really just rip it. I mean, it'll take you back to the message. It'll take you back to uh, how you felt when you heard that Nas and, and, and L Boogie were going to be on a song together. And I think that's one of the things that makes this album dope. It's just as dope as it was in 1996. And when you look at all of the music that dropped in 1996, that's saying a lot. 20 years doesn't seem like a long time, but it has been. And to be honest, if you're honest with yourself, this album was one of the best albums of 1996. No doubt thanks again for checking out another edition of the 12 kyle podcast i'm your boy 12 kyle and i'll holler at you guys next time 5000